0: All right, so here's where I'm going to be. I'm going to be, uh, for the most part, in John chapter 16. We have been looking at the gospel of John. John was one of Jesus' friends, one of his disciples, and he lived with Jesus while Jesus was on earth and doing ministry for about three years. In fact, John is one who knew all about um, Jesus being the Son of God and knew what it was to be his friend and knew what it was to be loved by him. And so he's now, later in his life, in his old days, writing the story of Jesus, telling the world that Jesus was a man, just like you and me, just, just a man, just a, just a human being like us, but he was more than a human being. He was also the Son of God. And because he was the Son of God, he did miraculous things, and he taught in a way that nobody would ever heard anybody teach that way before. And John's writing this story of who Jesus, his friend, was and is because he's the Son of God and he wants us as readers to believe in Jesus, to believe that he is the Son of God, to believe he did the things he said he did and that he died on a cross for your sins and for my sins and rose from the grave to new life so that by believing in Him, we can have life. And that's why John's writing. And this part that we're in, this John chapter 16, it's the end of a dinner conversation, if you will. In chapter 13, they went to uh, the upper room. They are having a, a last supper together. Jesus begins by washing their feet and then begins to talk to them about what is going to happen over the next few hours and days and what's going to happen with them once he's gone. Well, the disciples, they, um, they don't fully understand what Jesus has been saying. They don't understand fully what he has been doing in his ministry. And they almost certainly don't understand what he is about to do on the cross. And the reason is twofold. There are two things the disciples don't have yet. It keeps them from being able to fully understand. And this is what Jesus is talking to them about. He says, one, you don't have the right lenses. You don't have the glasses on that allow you to see. And these lenses that you need are the lenses of the cross and the burial and the resurrection. And once that happens, you're going to have eyes to see you're going to have lenses to look through and to be able to interpret all these things that have been happening. But up until then, you're not going to fully understand. The second thing you need, I'm going to be sending you. And that is the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Godhead. He is going to come and He's going to live in you and indwell you. And He's going to bring my presence to you always. And once you're able to see life through the lens of the resurrection, and once you have the power of the Holy Spirit to empower the new life that you're going to live, all these things will begin to make sense to you. And that's what Jesus is communicating to them. So I'm going to start actually back in uh, chapter 15, um, summarize the end of what's going on there, Because Jesus is going to say a few things. That Listen, I'm going to go to the cross. um, I'm going to be resurrected. After I'm resurrected, I'm going to go back and be with the Father. And this ministry, this this thing I'm leaving you, this church and the message of the church, the gospel, um, you're going to face the world like I faced the world. And in chapter 15, verse 18, he says this, If the world hates you, know that it hated me. And if you were of the world, the world would not love you as its own because you're not of the world. But I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Remember the words I said to you. And Jesus is talking about some words He said just a couple of chapters before, which, like, you know, like an hour ago when I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they're also going to persecute you. If they, if, they hear, if, they, if they kept my word, well then they'll also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they don't know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have be been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. And the sin he's talking about there is the sin of unbelief, the sin of rejecting what God has revealed. In fact, Paul will talk about in the other no-excuse passage in Romans chapter 1, he says this, he says, "Um, uh, for what can be known about God is plain to them. And it's plain to them because you can walk outside and look at the stars at night, and you can know, you know what, I didn't make those stars, and those are pretty awesome. Somebody made those stars. What can be known about God has been plain to them because God has shown it to them for His invisible attributes. Namely, His divine power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and all the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. And now Jesus has come and lived amongst them. He's the revelation of God. He's God in the flesh, and they've rejected Him, which means they've rejected God the Father, and they have no excuse. Jesus' point is, they hate me because they hated the Father. And if they hated me and they hated the Father, you can count on the fact that they're going to hate you, because you're different. You're not of the world anymore. And it doesn't take long for us to know that the world doesn't like things that are different. Different is bad. In fact, we learn it in elementary school, don't we? If you're different, that's bad. Jesus says, no, if you're different, that's great. The kind of different when I call you out of one existence and one kingdom and I put you in my kingdom and you're part of my world. You belong to me. Well, in verse Twenty-four. He'll say, "Chapter fifteen, verse twenty-four. If I hadn't done the works that no one else did, they wouldn't be guilty. But now they've seen and hated both me and the Father. All the signs Jesus did, all the miraculous things he did, all the all the um, uh, teaching that only could have come from God, it was rejected." There's no real reason that they should hate Jesus, but Jesus is saying it's no real surprise that they do. And then you come to look at uh, chapter 16. Let's pick up in verse 1. We're back to the persecution. He's saying, hey, listen, the, he's just said the the Spirit of God's going to come. The helper is going to come, and he's going to uh, bear witness about me. He's going to teach about me. And then in chapter 16, verse 1, we're back to the persecution. And he says, I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming that whoever, whenever, uh, when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they'll do these things because they've not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. So he's saying, listen, I don't want you to depart from the faith. I don't want you to fall away. The word is, um, uh, in the Greek, it's a word called skandalizo. You know, it's a scandal. I don't want you to fall victim to the scandal. I don't want you to depart from the faith. And he's telling them these things. Listen, I'm telling you these things that are going to happen because I want to I protect you. I want to protect you in a way that if you know what's coming, that's a protection. And it will strengthen your faith because when it does come, you'll go, oh yeah, he said it was coming, and it it did. Because it's important to tell the truth. It's important that we tell hard truths, even truth people don't want to hear. There's no service. We do nobody a service by not telling them the truth. We make them vulnerable. We make them susceptible to scandalizo. And he says, listen, persecution's coming, and they're going to kick you out of the synagogues like they kicked the blind guy out in chapter 9. Remember, he was blind, and I healed him, and they got so mad that they kicked him out of the synagogue. Persecution also means that some of them are going to be killed by people who think they're serving God. In fact, by the time John wrote this story down, the church already knew about the Apostle Paul who, thinking he was serving God, sought to destroy the church and he would chase Christians down and arrest them and see, oversee them being killed. But what Jesus says here is even though they think they're serving God and they desire to serve God, They don't know God. They don't know God because they don't know me. And if you know me, then you know the Father. In fact, the only way to know the Father is to know Jesus. And the tragedy is some act out of a motive of wanting to serve God, but they don't know Him and so they're just self-deceived. There's a story about an old man, an old guy in in church history several hundred years ago in the 1600s. His name was Thomas Cramner, and he was a guy who loved the Lord, and he was a Protestant, which means he kind of went to a Bible church, all right? And it was in the day when there was only the Catholic church, and the Pope was in charge, and Cramner was a guy who was leading the um, English Reformation, and there was a woman named Mary that took the throne. And she was, became known as Bloody Mary. And so, um, and they named it Drink After Her. And, um, it was a joke. All right, so Cramner, see, my jokes aren't near as funny, all right? It's just how it goes. Cramner, so he's imprisoned. He's got two friends. One of them's named Hugh Latimer, old Hugh. And the other guy's named Nichols Ridley, old Nichols. And they... Um, they, they arrested all three of them, Bloody Mary had them arrested, um, all three of them, and they took uh, Latimer, Hugh Latimer, and Nichols Ridley immediately after the arrest. They arrested them, they condemned them to death, they said that they were heretics, they were, um, they were teaching things that at the time the church didn't agree with, like salvation is by grace, through faith, alone, in Christ Christ. And so they arrested them, and immediately they put his two friends to death. They tied them to a stake, and then they they burned them alive. Well, Thomas Cramner was really worried, and so he smuggled a note out to his supporters, to his friends. And he said, pray for me. Pray that God would grant me the ability to endure to the end. Well, several months passed, and it was um, hard for Cramner. And he became scared, and he had a weak moment. And when the, um, uh, those that were against him and had condemned him came to him, they said, hey, listen, here's a way out, Thomas. You can sign this piece of paper, this paper uh, put out by the Pope. And if you just sign it and you recant, which means you would say all the things that I was saying, I don't believe them and they are not true. If you'll just sign that here with your right hand, Thomas, We'll let you go. So Thomas had a weak moment and he took the pen and with his right hand he signed it. And he was immediately overcome with grief and and sorrow and regret and wished he hadn't done that. The next part of it was, okay, we'll let you go, but you've got to come and you've got to stand in a pulpit and we're going to gather a big crowd and you're going to stand up and you're going to tell them you were wrong and you don't believe those things anymore. And so Cramner stood up into that pulpit and he said, you know, I'm supposed to stand here and say that what I was saying, I don't believe, but I am here to tell you, I do believe it. That you're only saved By grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's the only way. And he said, in fact, the right hand here that I used to sign that paper that said I didn't believe that, I hope that this will be the first thing on me punished. And immediately then the guards, they come and they snatch him and arrest him and drag him out of the pulpit and take him into the square. And they tie him up and they are about to light the fire. And as the fire comes up, he sticks his hand down in the fire and he says, As my hand has offended, writing contrary to my heart, my hand shall be the first thing punished. And as the flames rise, in his last breaths he prays, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. I see the heavens open and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. You know what was happening all along while Cramner's tied there and they light the fire? There was a bishop standing to the side preaching a sermon about how Cramner was wrong and would be forgotten by God. And Jesus says there will be people like that that preach sermons in the midst of our sorrow saying that we are wrong to trust Christ alone, and Jesus says, but they don't know God, and they don't know me. He's telling these things to them so that they will know that when it is in the dark of night, when it seems as though things cannot get any worse, He wants them to hang on because the dawn's coming. And he wants them to know that when you see me and I'm nailed to a cross, and I cry out, it is finished. And then I cry out, Lord, receive my spirit. And then I breathe my last and I die. It'll seem like the darkest of night. But my friends, I want you to know the dawn is coming. A new Day is coming. In fact, not just a new day. A new world, a new era, a new kingdom, a new life is coming. And so he tells them, them, them then in verse 5, or the end of verse 4, I don't say these things, I, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm not, uh, now I'm going to be, i going to him who sent me, means I'm going back to the Father, And yet none of you asks me, where are you going? Well, if you went back to chapter 13, 36, or chapter 14, verse 5, it appears that they ask him where he's going, but more likely what they're doing when they're asking that, they're really asking about, like, so, you know, um, why are you going away? And it's not really interested in him or interested in what God's doing. It's more interested in their own circumstance. Well, why are you leaving us? without much care to what he's going to suffer, or without much care with what God is going to do, their questions are less about Jesus and more about themselves. And so Jesus says, you haven't, you haven't really asked me where I'm going. But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. You, you've become consumed with sorrow. And then he makes the point in verse 7, Never- Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you, the Holy Spirit. But if I go, I will send him to you. Hey, friends, the disciples, he's saying to them, this isn't the end. It's the beginning. It's a new beginning. And the Spirit is coming to you and the Spirit has work to do. The Spirit has work to do in the world and the Spirit has work to do amongst you who are my disciples. The Spirit has work to do amongst the believers. And so look at what He says the work is. In verse 8 He says, and when He comes, this is the Spirit, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of the world is judged. And I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. He says, listen, when the Spirit comes, there is a work the Spirit's going to do in the world. And part of that work, He's going to do through you. You're my disciples. He's going to empower you. And you're going to be able to see things better because you will see things since the resurrection's happened. And you're going to see things because the Holy Spirit of God lives in you. And the Holy Spirit of God is going to, um, uh, as w- with regards to sin, He's going to expose the sin of the world. And they're going to be guilty because the sin is that they do not believe. Jesus is the revelation of God. The world's rejected Him. They've rejected what God's done. And they've done that because the world wants what the world wants. And so they reject God. And He says He's also going to expose righteousness. Well, sin's going to be exposed. Well, what does it mean that He's going to expose righteousness? Or... Bring righteousness into the light because Jesus goes to the Father. Well, we're reminded in the Old Testament in Isaiah where it says that we've all become like those who are unclean and that our righteous deeds, those those things we're doing righteously, good, the, the religious deeds that we're doing, they've become like filthy rags. Jesus as John has been telling the story, Jesus is greater than anything that there ever was before. He's greater than the Sabbath, and He's greater than Moses, and He's greater than the law, and He's greater than the synagogue, and He's greater than the temple, and all of those religious things that people do. You know, they do them with a half heart. And they say, you know, well, You know, I might not have done everything right, but at least I did these things. He's saying the Spirit is going to bring that to light. He's going to expose it. And that believers in Jesus who are empowered to follow Jesus and to obey His commands to love and to walk in the light, and in doing that, believers are going to be a presence on planet earth that guides um, the the world. I mean, So we'll be the ones who who worship in the light. Remember what Jesus told the woman at the well? It's going to be a day when it's no longer about which mountain you worship on. It's no longer about the temple. It's no longer about all of the religious ritual that's going to happen. But worship will happen in spirit and in truth. Here's the thing. Satan does not hate religious ritual. He loves it. He loves it because it detracts from and it distorts and it deters those that are observing ritual. It keeps them from true worship. And I'm not just talking about high church. I'm talking about low church too. I'm talking about Bible church, I'm talking about Christian culture and all those things we count on in our minds and we say well you know but at least I do this you know at least I got up and went to church today at least I listened to Christian radio the Spirit comes and exposes all that so that's not that's not Christianity That's not what it means to love Jesus. Just doing stuff. That's not loving Jesus. Loving Jesus is following Him and loving others as yourself and worshiping because the Spirit of God is in you. That's what it means. And then he says judgment is exposed because the rulers of the world stand judge. Even though it looks like there's a moment on that Friday that Jesus is crucified. He's been arrested. He's been beaten. He's been tortured. The religious people have stood by and they've yelled crucify Him and the Romans have taken Him and they've nailed Him to a cross and it looks like Satan's going to win. You know, like, like the announcers are, are calling the game and Satan's the home team. You know, like, like the announcers last night rooting for Gonzaga. Gonzaga. But Satan loses. He's crushed. Not getting by that defense, and you hadn't seen an offense lately like that. And judgment against evil will be sealed. It's like David and Goliath. You know all the reports? Well the Goliath the giant? Of course he's going to win. Just a little kid coming out here. And he doesn't even have any armor. And he hasn't had, doesn't have any weapons. All he's got rocks. And yet David comes and slays the giant and cuts his head off with his own sword. And Jesus comes in the midst. And, and what looked like this moment of Satan's great victory was actually his great defeat. Jesus' work destroys what he, Satan, the enemy, sought to accomplish. And then so Jesus says in verse 12, i got many more things to tell you, but you can't handle them right now. You can't bear it. You can't take any more. Jesus has given them a lifetime of theology here. It's going to take them a lifetime to work out. In fact, it takes a lifetime for all of us to work these things out. Christianity doesn't happen in a weekend. You don't ever graduate from the theological studies. We'll spend our whole life growing into these truths that we believe. And Jesus says the Spirit's going to guide you. And the Spirit glorifies the Son. And um, He goes on, and when the Spirit of truth comes, He'll guide you into all truth, for He'll not speak on His own authority. But whatever He hears, He'll speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me. For He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. And all that the Father has is Mine. Therefore I said, He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. The Spirit's going to come. He's going to guide you, empower you, teach you these things. He's going to help you work out all these things for the rest of your life. And I would just say this, if a church spends more time on the Spirit than they do on Jesus then you can be assured that they've got it wrong because the Spirit does not bring glory to Himself He seeks to glorify Jesus and to teach and to guide us into all that Jesus has said and all that Jesus is well then He's going to tell them if you'll look with me in verse 16 he says this, a little while and you'll see me no longer. And again a little while, you will see me. What is Jesus saying? In a little while, you're not going to see me anymore. And then a little while after that, you are going to see me. What's he mean? He, he means that when I go to the cross and I, you won't see me, I'm going to be dead. But only for three days. And then you'll see me again. That's what he's saying to them. And some of his disciples said to one another, now imagine children sitting in the back seat of the car, listening to their mother talk, and then looking at each other like, what is she saying? I don't. There's words coming out of her mouth, I don't understand what she's saying. Maybe you've never experienced that. Verse 17, so some of the disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while, and then you will not see me, and again a little while, you will see me, and... Because I'm going to the Father? And so they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. And Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me, and again, a little while you will see me? So then he begins to tell them, truly, truly, I say to you, You'll weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You'll be in great sorrow and in great agony, and the world around you is going to be rejoicing. And you'll be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When the disciples weep, the world rejoices but it's only for a little while. He's talking about the Easter resurrection here when the, when the resurrection happens. Listen, you're going to go through sorrowful times. You're going to be distraught. You're going to think that the world that you have known is ending, but I am telling you, it is just beginning. And On Easter morning, you are going to witness a resurrection. And you are going to have a joy as my disciples that no one No one will be able to take that joy away. And Easter is not just a one-morning event. It is the beginning of a lifetime of Easter and resurrection and new life. And from then on, the disciples are going to know the presence of the Lord in a way they could have never known Him before because the Spirit is going to be with them. As Jesus is resurrected then, they will look forward to their resurrection on that day to come. They will have a joy no one can rob from. That's why Paul will say to the Thessalonians who are so downhearted about those that have died in their midst as believers, and he'll say, hey, listen, we don't, we don't grieve as people who don't have any hope. This is what's going to happen. The trumpet of God is going to sound and Jesus is going to appear in the dead in Christ. They're going to rise first. And then we who are left will be transformed in a moment. And then we will be with Jesus forever. That's why he says comfort each other with these words. Encourage each other with these words. And then to make the point, Jesus gives an illustration in verse 21. He says, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she's delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish. For joy that a human being has been born into the world. I remember when my wife was pregnant. She was nine months pregnant and looked about 14 months pregnant. It was beautiful though, honey. It was. Never looked more beautiful. And I remember the days leading up to the birth, I had decided, well, that's it. We probably won't ever have another child. And then the moment of anguish and birth giving, I was totally freaked out. Decided I was fine with that. But you know what happened? There's something that happens when a baby's born that a woman loses all memory of the agony and sorrow. The dads don't, by the way. This is why women have children. Dads don't have children. I Miss, mean, it's not very long. She's like, I just can't wait for Maggie to have a brother or sister. And I'm like, what are you talking about? The Hours come. This is why he's saying, listen. I'm going to die and come out of the earth like being reborn out of the earth into new life. This is why we do baptism. We, we go under the water like, like going down into the death of Jesus and then we come out of the water into new life, being born again into new life. And all the sorrow and all the anguish, that be forgotten. Because new life will come. In verse 22, So you also have sorrow now, but I'll see you again. I'm going to see you again at the resurrection. I'm going to see you in the 40 days afterwards. And I'm going to see you again when the trumpet sounds. And your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. And in that day, in that day, and the day of resurrection as we long for the final day. You'll ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I'll say to you, whatever you ask in the, Father, in the name of the Father, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Here's what he's saying. Listen, you... You haven't asked, you haven't understood, and you, you didn't want to ask. Oh, so where am I going? What do I mean? And What am I doing? Because you haven't understood. But there's a day coming when you won't even have to ask. There will be things you know that you don't know now because you're going to have the lens of the resurrection. You're going to be able to see things. You go, oh, that's what that means. And you're going to have the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in you, guiding you. In a little over a month, From Jesus saying these words, Peter is going to preach in Acts chapter 2 and then again in Acts chapter 3. And he is going to preach from no less than eight Old Testament passages. And they're not like the easy ones. And all of a sudden Peter stands up because he's seen the resurrection and the Holy Spirit has come upon him and he stands up and he opens the Old Testament, the Scriptures, the only ones they had. And he goes, now I get it. Now I understand. And he begins to preach and to explain to the others that are listening by the thousands. And their eyes are open. And they say, oh, now we get it. And it happens to us every time we labor in God's Word as we wrestle. and say, oh, I don't understand that, but I want to understand it. Then we remember, yeah, I see this through the resurrection. I'm counting on the Spirit of God in me to guide me and to make these passages come to light so that I can see them. And that day for us is now. And he says, then we'll be able to come to the Father. We'll be able to just come into his presence. We'll be able to come. Jesus will be seated at the right hand, but we won't have to come to Jesus and say, hey, could you ask your dad this? We'll be able to come into his presence, and we'll be able to ask from him. And listen to why we'll be able to do that. In verse 25, I've said these things to you in figures of speech, the hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say that you will ask the Father, that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father Himself loves you because you've loved me. And I believe that I came from God, I came from the Father, and have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and I'm going to the Father. You'll come in. You know what? You're going to be able to come in to the presence of the Father as sons and as daughters. Because God in His infinite grace and mercy and love for us sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sin. So we who were His enemies can become His sons and His daughters. And we have full access to Him. There's a famous photo from 1962. It's the cover of Time magazine, I think. And it was a White House reporter snapped a picture in the Oval Office and there's President Kennedy and he's seated there at the resolute desk, and the desk is piled on top of it. All these papers, and he's hard at work, and things of national importance. And what the photographer caught was there's a little latch, a little door, in the bottom of the resolute desk, and the the front of it would swing out like a little door. And the door had been swung open And sitting under the desk is John Jr. He's a little boy playing under his dad's desk the most powerful man in the world. There he is just playing with Legos. You know? It's that kind of access. We have the access of a child with his father. That day's coming because he loves you that day for us is now and it is so glorious it is beyond what we can fully comprehend it is it is what we have to grow into the infinite glorious perfect god would provide a way through the death of his son for us to become sons and daughters Well, then Jesus sums up His entire ministry in verse 28. I came from the Father, that's His deity. And I have gone and I have come into the world, that's His humanity. And now I am leaving the world, that is His death, burial, and resurrection. And then I'm going to the Father, His ascension and His mediation. It's the whole gospel summed up in a verse. Well, then I want you to see how the disciples respond to all this. Remember he said, I've been speaking to you in figures of speech. There's a time coming and I won't. I'll tell you things plainly. So in verse 29, here's how his disciples respond. His disciples said, Oh, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. That you, this is absolute confidence in the midst of utter confusion. <laughs> I mean, you've got to like the disciples for that, right? Oh, we get it now. Look at what Jesus so tenderly and strongly says to them, verse 31. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. You're going to leave me alone. You don't even know it yet. You don't even know how weak you are. You don't even, you don't even know how fickle yet you are. You don't even know how faithless you are. But I won't be alone. As I stand and I cry out, nailed to a cross, it is finished. In that moment of glory, my Father will be there. See, the church is not built on the strength of men or women but the strength of God by his spirit through the weakness of believers the two great characters after Jesus in the New Testament are Peter who's the apostle to the Jews denies Jesus three times after this before he will lay his head down to sleep and Paul Paul, who's introduced as the apostle of the Gentiles, calls himself the least of the saints and the chief of sinners and introduced to us as the destroyer of the church until Jesus gets him. We don't stand in our strength. We stand in desperate need of grace. And so Jesus, with all grace, says in verse 33, I have said these things to you That in me you may have peace. You'll go and meet Peter after Peter's great failure and offer Peter peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. He's the only foundation of peace. Peace comes through the in me of Jesus because He's overcome the world. I'll end with this story. There's a story of S. Lewis Johnson who's an old preacher and professor at Dallas Seminary and he tells the story of a little old lady that he knew. And her favorite verse was 2 Timothy 1.12 For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. She she clung to that verse. Now she knew lots of verses, but he said that as she got older in life and she became you know bedridden, she, she couldn't get out of bed, of all the verses that she'd memorized, this is the one. For I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him. She learned it from the King James Version, maybe the New American Standard. Well, she got older and he said that her mind began to fail and most all of the verses that she'd memorized for comfort had left her memory, except for this one. She would recite it. She'd cling to it. Even when the faces of her family... um, were not familiar, and she didn't know them. She would know this verse: "For I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that He's able to guard what I've entrusted to Him till that day." And then Johnson said he got to the day of her death very close, and that even that verse slipped from her memory, and she couldn't remember it. And all that she could remember was one word: "Him." Him. Him. And he said he remembered that that's how she died. Saying Him. 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 So he would stand up in front of his systematic theology classes at Dallas Seminary. And he would tell the story of this little old lady. And he would say to the class in his Charleston, South Carolina accent, Gentlemen. That little old lady, in her understanding of Scripture, she understood the essence of who God is, because all you need to remember from Scripture is Him, Him, Him. Take heart. He's overcome the world. If you would, would you bow with me and let's pray? Father, we thank you for the words that you revealed and you inspired for John, and your son's earthly.